G'day amigos and welcome to the Four Diegos on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. Good evening, Rodrigo Rodriguez with you on this uh, very, very cold, uh, you, you guessed it, uh, Wednesday night and uh, nice weather there by Warren and thanks to Mark Fine and Fine, he always does a great show and always good to hear the boys on just before the Diegos and uh, Vinny Venezuela's here as well. Thank you very much. Uh, good evening, Rodrigo. Hi, listeners. Yeah, looking forward to tonight's show, Vinny. Well, more on that in a moment. But Warren, you're here as well and welcome to you. Yeah, thanks, Rodrigo. What did you say just before I did the weather? <laughs> that I... Yeah, yep, yep. That, that, move on. Yep. Move and, on. Uh, well, he, what I said was, um, I hope Carlos doesn't bag you tonight. Carlos, welcome to the show. <laughs> How are you there, Rodrigo? Good to see you. Good yeah. to see you too, Warren. It's and, be... uh, and Vinny. Look, we're good. Welcome to our listeners. Tonight's show is going to be an absolute beauty. Uh, we've got Mike McGrath coming up a little bit later on to talk about the nuts and bolts of the English Premier League and what's going on, as we always do every week. We've got the Q&A, lots of topics, but uh, very, very soon we've got the world's best commentator, Martin Tyler, uh, live. live He's on, a mate of ours. I'm, I'm a bit nervous, Carlos. He's a mate of ours. He's a mate of ours. We mm. spoke, we've spoken to him for, long, for over the years, yep. uh, since 1996. I remind him of that. <laughs> it's true. Um, How do we get him in 1996, really? I've got no idea. But, uh, we're, we're still on, on community radio in those days. Community radio. We were thriving on community radio. Oh, we, we sent a letter airmail, <laughs> and uh, it eventually got there. I once sent a fax to Mark Bosnich at the Aston Villa training ground, and guess what? He got back to me. Of course he did. Fax was ahead of its time. I, was, I requested an interview with him in yeah. about 94, 95, and I thought, uh, I got in touch with the club. They said, no, no. You have to send all your correspondence to the training ground. And I said, well, a letter? No, no, you've got to fax it. They've got to fax it to the training ground. And Bozza rang me back, would you believe? Bozza probably had it in his car. He was yeah, <laughs> head of the game. Machine, yes. Yeah, the fax machine. It's going to be a big show. Send us your text messages on 0433981116. We'd love to hear from you. And, uh, yeah, even, even if you've got a, a thought on Martin, Ta- Martin Tyler and uh, maybe a question, if mm. we can get to it, uh, we will. 0433981116. Boys, uh, of course, and uh, congratulations to South Melbourne, mm. who defeated Oakley Cannons 3-2 in the uh, NPL Victoria game, of course. So well done to them. And, uh, yeah, it's great. Uh, we're going to talk about some, some of that a little bit later on in the aftermath, uh, Carlos Alberto Diego, especially around Chris Taylor's uh, blast of the A-League. That's coming up a just little bit. I don't know why he just didn't. Celebrate the victory. <laughs> well, you get a bit cocky. Oh, he did. You, know? no, he you, did. you win the league. You know, you've had a few champagnes. And you're a bit loose with your lips, and you, you know, the journos around you. Because of course, the journos, you know, the mainstream journos from the Herald Sun and the Age rock up to the grand final, and they have a bit of a press conference. And Chris has got, you know, he's got an audience. <laughs> let's uh, let's shoot double barrels. That's at, it. Uh, anyone I don't like. Good on him, I reckon. Yeah. I, think, I think it made. It made national news. Well, it made certainly uh, local news, but uh, but I, what, I know. What South Melbourne's win? Well, no, he's oh, he's yes, his statements uh, that, yes. that that um, you know the A League uh, fails to blood some of the youngsters. We'll get into that a little bit later on, but uh, also some uh, European uh, Champions League as well. Um, you know, it's uh, interesting to see. Oh, do not talk about it. Yeah, yeah. I'm a wee bit upset. Sir Alex, Tommy Rogic, give him a game, put them on. I tell you what. That is a baptism of fire, isn't it? Really, playing uh, the Bernabeu, Barcelona, uh, Celtic, uh, and you're going there with a little bit of a you know head of steam. You just beaten Rangers in the in the old firm derby, and suddenly, bang, you cop seven away from home. It was a familiar score sheet 
from Barcelona, wasn't it, really? Just reasonably familiar. The, the talk in the tunnel was, whose shirt are you going to get? And they, they, they lost focus. It's true. We'll talk about uh, the Champions League a little bit later on, but uh, at uh, 10 past 11 here on 11.16 SEN, it's time now for Martin Tyler. Yes, as we said uh, a bit earlier, it's time now to speak to the world's greatest commentator and uh, a big friend of the Diego's, Martin Tyler. Welcome to the Four Diego's. You know I come on even without the big billing. You must must go easy with that. It offends my natural modesty. But thank you, and it's a pleasure to talk to you again. It's it's our pleasure. It's Rodrigo Rodriguez here. We've got Vinny Venezuela, Warren Diego, and and Carlos Alberto Diego. Uh, Martin, the first time we interviewed you was in 19... 96. Um, oh, can, you, can you remember that? <laughs> yeah, I can remember 1996 better than 2016, I think. You know, that's the consequence of ageing, isn't it? And you've come to me on my birthday, so... Uh, oh, happy uh, birthday. So happy anniversary. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. You've had so much experience and... for a 27-year-old too, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> I did start very young. Didn't I? Oh, <laughs> Martin, if I'd known that, I would have uh, thrown more platitudes your way, but... Uh, but, but no, look, it, it is great to have you on, and we haven't spoken to you for a little while, so how do we find you? You know, it's obviously your birthday. You're, uh, we, we hear that you're uh, on, on FIFA. You know, you're one of the commentators on that. So, has you, you know, how's your life these days? Well, much the same. Uh, I'm very lucky to still be um, uh, asked to go and commentate on football matches. I work for Sky Sports over here. Um, I work for UEFA on the Euro 2016, um, and I I don't know whether I should say this, but you guys are special people. Um, I've had a first initial approach to work for SBS on the World Cup finals in Russia. So wow. It was really, really nice to get that uh, email from Ken Ship, who's uh, a very influential man in the um, in the organisation, and I hope we can we can come up with something because I'd I'd love to keep going to do that. So now I still think I'm 30 years younger than I actually am, and <laughs> trying to fight the tide of time as we all are. But I'm, I'm, it's a lot easier when you you have such a, a privileged occupation way of life really to be around young footballers and all the energy and all the quality and all the dynamism um and and one or two other factors as well which aren't always quite as palatable it's a a tough old business isn't it at the top of uh, the game we love but um you know it's great to play a small part in it and i hope i can continue to do that Martin, as part of that approach, you should be pushing for the Diegos to be there with you. We can bring you drinks. Yeah. I, I, well, I think I think the build-up and the post-show, I think, you know, it'd be oh. perfect. Not the commentary, though. I, I don't know if I can handle all of you together. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. We, we, now, we, now, we now have... Um, we have an extra person. We have two other voices on our Sky Sports commentary for the, for the main game. So it, I suppose it helps me a bit because I just sort of identify the odd player and tell how, how much time has gone and let the others analyse the game. So, um, but uh, no, I, it would be, it's really nice to talk to you guys seriously and, and it, would be, it would be great to do that in any, in any circumstance. Martin, it's Carlos. Uh, obviously, when we first interviewed you back in 1996, you were the world's greatest commentator then, and you've been going for a while. Are you still loving calling the games as much as you always have? And what's changed over the years? You know, obviously, you know, I'm not sure what sort of mics they had back there and what sort of technology, but it surely has changed now. 
Well, you picked on the one thing that hasn't changed, actually, the, uh, what we call the lip mic. Um, you've, you've all seen photos of commentators, I'm sure, working with, with that bar across the top lip, and uh, it blocks out a lot of the sound from, from the actual crowd, so you can, you, your voice can be heard without sort of mingling in with, um, with the crowd noise for the big moments in the game. So that hasn't changed. Um, uh, I think the principles of the job really haven't changed too much. Um, but of course, the game itself has changed a lot, and it is um, it, it, it's now played on better playing surfaces with, um, I think, more intensity than ever on the result. I think that's probably um, everything is pretty short term you know, for for particularly the coaches, um, the players too. You, 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 I know I know they're well looked after in terms of contract and indeed in terms of money, but um, you know there is still. Uh, every game is a it's an adventure for them, um, and uh, I think it, it's moved generally from what we call the back pages over here. I'm not quite sure how your newspapers cover sport, what part of the paper it is, but back page was it was basically in in, in the sports demeanour, and now it's um, very much on the front page as well. So it's, it's been great to be part of it as it's as it's blossomed. It's not perfect. I would be foolish to pretend that, but. Um, I do think it's genuinely a force for good in the world, in a, in a difficult world that we, we can all, um, you know, talk to each other about about football matches, and it might not seem that important, but actually it is something that everybody, um, and it seems to be in, in pretty much every country, um, different political divides uh, are bridged by by the, the love of, of of the world game, and and sometimes I'm sounding a bit pious here, boys. I don't mean to be that, but. Um, you know, I, I do think it's um, it's something that I've been proud to be uh, attached to, and and I think the game itself can hold its head up. I know there are people, you know, the the, the, the politics of it, the um, uh, the sense of lack of leadership, perhaps at times, and and all that's been going on uh, around the uh, top executives of running the world game, obviously has been quite unsavoury. But it's getting sorted out, and, and I think football just reflects every other aspect of the world. And, and you know, in, in any industry, there are, there are the good guys and the bad guys, and we always hope the good guys come out on top. Martin, just to follow on from that, I'm just wondering, in the 25 years or so that we've been speaking to you, what about the aesthetics of the game, the excitement, the way the game is looks and is played? And I suppose... I'd ask you to comment on a club level in terms of the Premier League and, and British football that you know so well, and also tournament football, the World Cups and the European Cups. In terms of, are the games as exciting? Is it as good to watch? Is it aesthetically better than it ever has been? I think you can take both sides of that argument. I mean, there's a counter-attacking game now, which is thrilling and great to commentate on. You can see these breakaway goals happening with great speedy players and, and great passing at the top at breakneck speed to get from one end to the other. Um, and, and I think that's probably something that's come about with a better playing surfaces and, and more athletic training for the for the players. And, and I think that the way the coaches have looked at the game as well, and I do think that is... Um, uh, you know that that that's great fun to watch, and I go to every game um, with an open mind and thinking I'm going to be, uh, you know, on my metal to get it right. You know, as a commentator, and of course you don't always do that, but you're always striving to keep up with it. I think that's so the the pace of it, and and um, you know we have to judge it by the people who go to the the games now, and then they they still sell out here. Um, I think the, the the other side that that probably 
slightly grates with me is that more and more decisions about the so-called good of the game are made for commercial reasons. And it, I know it is an industry, um, but it has to maintain its sense of competition. And, and I don't think there should be any guarantees. I'm, I'm probably alluding to the way that it might be a big debate because we've got a new president of UEFA actually just voted in and the European, obviously controlling European football. But the big clubs want to get a bigger piece of the pie without actually um, earning it on the field, on, on the historical grounds. That doesn't resonate well with me at all. I don't think there should be any guarantees in sport. I think you should have to have to get what you what you achieve in terms of success by doing it, not not because you are this club or that club. So I think that's that's probably the downside of it. But no, I I, I never set off or sit up. But you, you, you know, when the two teams come out and you start broadcasting, you've got to have that feeling of thrill and potential in, in, inside you and, and you can't cheat on your own emotions. That feeling of potential and excitement is still with me. Martin, Vinnie Venezuela here. I'm just uh, picking up on what you were saying about preparing for a, for a broadcast of a game. Is there anything in particular that you do to set up for commentary? Is there a, some sort of research that you sort of focus on or does your wealth of experience just come out on the day or is it a bit of both? I'm just interested and I ask it on behalf of all of those people who have just enjoyed your commentary throughout the years. Um, I always get asked how long does it take to prepare for a game and and, and my answer is quite simple. It's how long have I got? Um, if I've got a week, then I'll take a week because you can do a week's preparation. If I'm um, you know, doing the tournaments, you might have a few hours between matches. You'll be doing matches maybe every day for, for 10 days, different matches, different teams. Uh, in, the, in the European Championship, um, with, with the 24 nations that we just had in, in June and July over here, uh, I covered 17 of the countries, and, um, and I didn't do England. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so one that I, would have been you know, a bit of bread and butter for me, I suppose. <laughs> um, so there were, there were, it seemed a lot, a, a, a lot of detail. And, they, and you have to, you, first of all, you have to be able to identify the players, and you need to have the, the relevant information, really. And um, uh, sometimes that, that's a matter of opinion, <laughs> what is relevant and what isn't. Um, but no, you can keep going. Every, you know, every every match has obviously two teams. It has um, squads of um, well, mostly 18 players, and certainly the Champions League games you're dealing with a team sheet with 36 players. You've got a referee to research as well. You've got the history of the fixture. There's a, there's a lot to do, and some most of it is is just there if you need it, and you don't need it. Um, but if you do need it, you hope. You hope you can find it, and um, that, that again is not an exact science. And obviously, interpreting the game as it unfolds is what I particularly enjoy doing. Seeing, seeing how the teams do square up to each other, and um, you know, we, we are very much focusing over here on on uh, head coaches or managers, call them what you will, because they're very high profile. In fact, uh, the last game I did for, for Sky Sports was the Manchester derby on on uh, Saturday lunchtime our time. And obviously it was Manchester United against Manchester City, but it was more put out as Mourinho versus Guardiola. And um, on, on Friday night here, Saturday morning your time, we've, we've got um, Conte versus Klopp, which in actually in old money is Chelsea versus Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, that, that's, that's, that's another side to it. So um, you can never know too much, but it's, it's about not getting stifled by it. And most importantly, not stifling the listener about it because... You know, I believe you've got to let the game breathe and 
I think my natural personality does that. I don't think I've learned to do that. I'm, I couldn't do radio uh, because you have to talk all the time. And although I'm talking all the time here, <laughs> and forgive me for that, um, uh, I, I, when I'm watching football, the, the, the natural pauses um, you know, fit me better with television. And, and obviously we have co-commentators who also you know, give, you, give you a chance to, to watch the game while they're talking. Here in the field, Four Diego's, we're speaking with Birthday Boy and the world's greatest <laughs> commentator, Martin Tyler. Martin, it's Carlos again. Um, over the last couple of decades, we've been covering the game, and even even before that, the the, the most uh, expensive player in the world tended to be, you know, the best player in the world. You know, maybe maybe the, in the best two or three players in the world. Uh, with Paul Pogba's uh, transfer to Manchester Manchester United from Juventus. Uh, in the off season, uh, you know, becoming the, the most expensive player of all time in that transfer, um, it, it, he, he, I don't think he, he'd fall under the category as one of the best players in the world with Messi still playing or Ronaldo still playing, Neymar still playing. If, if I'm not sure whether you agree with that or not, but something seems to be happening with the currency, you know, uh, in world football. It, it, it doesn't always seem to be you know, uh, aligned with the best players, the amount of money you pay. Do you see that happening? They aren't for sale at the moment, are they? I think if they were for sale, you would get new record fees. But um, uh, it is about supply and demand, isn't it? And and the situation involving um, the dynamics, the financial dynamics of of the league that are buying or selling. And um, Paul Pogba... um, uh, became available um, at a time where the new TV deal um, around the Premier League, both from within the UK and and, and the overseas rights as well, has just uh, escalated. So the money is there, and, and uh, I don't always agree with what Jose Mourinho says, but when he said we've got the money, why shouldn't we spend it? He's absolutely right, and you know they, they held out for a big deal. It, it's it's an intriguing transfer. Be, I mean, he isn't you know you expect you're going to get 20 or 30 goals a season from uh, a player you pay that sort of money for, but he's a sort of symbol of, of Manchester United. Um, rebranding and, and redeveloping their, their after three rather lean years by their standards, very lean years by their standards, that um, they're going to get going again. Um, and of course, the, the, the odd thing about that is that they had him, and then they let, mm. he wanted to go. They, they couldn't stop him going, and now they've had to pay a fortune to get him back. Um, but he didn't do particularly well in the derby. He'd be he'd be the first to say that. But I think there's a lot of potential there to influence matches and get Manchester United as uh, as they're striving to get back to the glories that they had under under the management of Alex Ferguson. Martin, you mentioned the managers and how the story is about them in many ways. I'm wondering if we've got the greatest collection of managers that we've ever seen in the Premier League and. I suppose commenting on their differences, I watch Liverpool TV a lot over here and, and watch docos on Paisley and Shankly and those managers at Liverpool where the story was always about the players and the culture and now it seems very much about the managers and what they're trying to to put. Where where do you think the balance should lie and do you think it's a good thing that we have these subplots in all the games that the big teams are involved in? Well, funny enough, yeah, going back to what you asked me earlier about what's changed, um, when I started commentating, we very rarely had any shots of the, the benches during the games. We didn't have enough cameras, probably, that was the reason. But the, play, the, the managers weren't seen as that, that important 
and they wore tracksuits and they were just sort of part of the training, getting the players fit to play. And it was all about the players. And now they wear the most expensive suits that you could possibly buy. And, uh, you know, they, they, the cameras are on them all the time. Um, and, and they are engaging people. And they're, I think rather like politicians, as, as the years have gone by, they've become television has made them successful. If, if, you're, if, I mean, if, if you're any good at talking in politics um, and you've got a good look about you, you, you've got a better chance because the TV likes you. And now in, in, in football management as well, if, if you're TV friendly in terms of your antics on the bench and, and Jurgen Klopp is very much in, you know, I just hope he doesn't lose his glasses again when I'm commentating <laughs> on, on Friday because I, I'm running out of things to say about uh, puns on spectacles are not that easy to come by. Um, but, uh, he, he, you know, they, they are, they are the, the, the voice of, you know, they relate to the... Uh, they do press conferences all the time. They're on the television all the time. The players, most of the players, don't front up for the media, don't have to um, on that sort of basis. So personality players uh, are often just through their antics, so the right kind of you know, antics, and that's a motive word, you know, their skills on the field. Um, and then they don't always come out and talk about it. But the managers have to talk all the time, and you want their reaction straight after games. It's now compulsory for them to speak to the world before the game. Uh, the player gets rolled out as well, but, you know, he, he, he gets three questions, and the answers you can probably understand what's coming before they're even said. So they are the mature voice of, uh, from inside the dressing room. And, um, yeah, I, I, I prefer to talk about the players because they're the ones I, I do a, a bit of coaching myself. And I know that if without good players, it doesn't matter what you are as a coach, you might get an extra 5% out of them. But that won't win you matches. Your good players win you matches. So maybe, maybe it has gone slightly too far. But they are intriguing guys. And, you know, they, uh, I, I sort of thought after the Manchester derby, which really delivered with a lot of build-up to it. Sometimes the games with big build-up don't deliver, but it was, a, it was a terrific game with all sorts of facets to it. But would it have been the same? Would it have been seen the same if it was Van Gaal against Pellegrini, which it was last year? And they're not, you know, Louis Van Gaal is a bit of, a, a bit of an image coming towards the end of his career, but, but Pellegrini very understated. And there you've got, you know, Mourinho and Guardiola sort of sharpening us all up for it, obviously including the players themselves, and that was very much a part of a big day which might have fallen flat if those elements hadn't been there. So I think we've got to embrace it and enjoy it and talk about it. And listen, we're in the business of finding things to talk about, aren't we? So the more <laughs> that there are, the more subjects there are, the more people there are that, that the, the listeners engage with, then, then the, more, um, the more work there is for us guys. Martin, uh, Vinny again, I've got an unashamed man crush on man who cans Latsin Berahimovic. I think he's the best thing that's happened to the EPL for a while. Do you have a man crush on any particular player? <laughs> no, my crushes are all on ladies. And, uh, <laughs> I'm far too old, as my birth certificate will tell you on this particular day, to be able to talk about them on the air because they'd probably be seen as not appropriate. Um, so, no, I, I just I, what I do enjoy is... The, the, the goal-scoring moment in commentaries, you know that. Uh, I've seen some wonderful nil-nil draws, but um, you know, the, the, it, everybody goes there to see goals, really. And and he's struck gold, hasn't he? Five in five for Manchester United. A lot of speculation as to whether they were getting him on the 
on his downward path uh, from 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 the great career that he's had. Um, but he's arrived as a strong person as well as a strong player, and uh, he's been very important in the way that they started. And he scored a very good goal in the derby and was a, a bit of a gift, the ball coming his way, but still took a lot of um, controlling to get that uh, volley into to get Manchester United their goal. So, um, no, but I think um, the, 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 it, it's the... Um, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm glad I don't commentate on women's football because you know, <laughs> I probably would have been inappropriate and not be on your show. <laughs> <laughs> Martin, but, oh, sorry, Martin, one last one before we let you go. Leicester City, will we ever see an achievement like that? Uh, a team that has come out of nowhere and no one ever expecting to to win the league, win the league the way they did, given this uh, you know this era of so much money and and you know, you know big big clubs that can really by anyone they want it around the world. Well, I, I think probably it's, uh, it's it's less likely. I mean, we've been lots of comparisons over the you know the Leicester story about what it related to. Um, there was um, you know, going way back to Ipswich Town in the early 1960s when Alf Ramsey then went on to manage England to win their only World Cup. Um, uh, you know, they they came from the third tier and won and won the league. Uh, and that was a wonderful achievement. Nottingham Forest did it under Brian Clough, and then won two European Cups, stroke Champions League, as you would call them today, which is which is incredible because uh, there's no way Leicester are going to do that. Although they're setting out tonight on the road to try and do it. Um, uh, so I think in the modern game, we've talked a lot about the industry and and, and how you know, there are some super clubs, uh, and Leicester aren't regarded as super club. It was truly extraordinary. I think in the in the Premier, we've had this is the 25th season of the Premier League. Um, it's by far the best. I thought Arsenal going through a season unbeaten was in, uh, an amazing achievement in that invincible campaign 03 04. Um, but this for me, uh, Leicester winning the league tops it. They they won, you know, boys, they won the league by 10 points. Mm, they, mm. they didn't sneak across the line. Um, but now they're finding it hard, obviously, to, to play as defending champions. They, they've got more competition to play in playing in Europe. They had a free free run, a bit like Chelsea and Liverpool. I mean, Chelsea and Liverpool aren't playing in Europe this week, which is why they're playing uh, on Friday night in front of the domestic cameras. That game can be put in a European week where they would not be involved. Mm. So they're going to have a chance. So what, what Leicester have done, have given a kick up the backside to all the, the, the clubs that are supposed to be superior to them because everybody's going now, well, how have you let Leicester do it? <laughs> Arsenal Wenger's under pressure. Arsenal, they came second. But, but you know, Leicester shouldn't have won it. Arsenal fans are saying we should win it. And so every team that's sort of in that super group, and, and there's quite a few of them now, uh, in England, it's, it's not a two-horse race as it might be seen in Spain, or a three-horse race. The credit to Atletico Madrid as well. Um, you know, six or seven clubs that can win the Premier League, but Leicester aren't one of those, and the others probably aren't one of those either. But you never know. It's in a very harsh, pragmatic industry of realism. You know, we're all attracted to it for romance. Uh, that's what sport's about, and we've just had an Olympics with that, um, and and uh, the, that kind of reminder uh, that it can happen is is great. It restores 
It's restored a lot of um, belief in the game over here. Um, and and well, well done, Leicester. Even if nobody does it again for another 30, 40 years, it'll be worth the wait. Absolutely, Martin. Job done as far as we're concerned. Hey, we really appreciate your time. Uh, on your birthday, no less. And uh, you've always been so generous with the Diego. <laughs> I do feel I've been rather serious. I, I hope that hasn't said oh. what you set out to do. I'm not normally like this, but maybe it is the... Uh, the uh, awareness of age but, um, <laughs> um, we normally have a bit more banter than this no no Martin you, we'll, you've, save, you just, we'll save that for you, the next time you just give us credibility that's what you've done it, mate yeah <laughs> it, it, it's because we've left it so long we, we won't leave it so long uh, next time Martin we'll Please get you don't. we will call you it might it might be dangerous leaving it too long looking at my birth <laughs> <laughs> so, we'll I'll call. come back soon guys and, and, and more power to you I've always enjoyed talking to you I'm, I'm delighted listen uh, from my end I should come congratulate you for the length of service that you've put into your broadcasting careers as well. Uh, that's, thank you very much indeed. Uh, we love it uh, like you love it. And, uh, you know, the game's just growing in this side of the, on this side of the world as well. So we're very, very proud of that and uh, we'll continue to do it. So thanks for your time. Have a great day. Happy birthday. And we'll talk to you again very, very soon. Take care, guys. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks, thanks, Martin. There's the world's greatest commentator, Martin Tyler. We've got to take a break now and come back with more of the Diego's on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. How much do you feel the game? Do you feel it like Brazilian commentators do? I love this game. This has been a tribute to Brazilian commentators everywhere. This is the Four Diego's. On eleven sixteen SEN, the Four Diego's. Thanks for joining us on this cold Wednesday evening on the Four Diego's. Uh, always uh, great to speak with uh, Martin Tyler, uh, and we didn't get through half of the questions. <laughs> no, we that, could have kept his answer short too, yeah. by the way, Rodrigo. Yeah, thank you. The SMS, uh, you know, people SMSing their questions through our SMS machine just <laughs> shut down halfway through it, so we didn't see them, and we wouldn't have got to the questions anyway because the great man. He likes to elaborate on the, on the questions and give us everything we want to hear about it. No, so, he's been very, very yeah. generous with the Diego's over the years, and we're very, very lucky. And yeah. uh, hope you enjoyed uh, Martin Tyler's thoughts on the game. Boys, it is time for the uh, Q&A, the questions and answers with uh, Rodrigo Rodriguez. <laughs> um, <laughs> Q&A. Riveting radio. Yeah, this. yeah, well, let's go. Let's start with yeah. um, South Melbourne. We talked a bit about it before. South Melbourne's yeah. boss, uh, Chris Taylor, who blasted the A-League after they... Uh, Won the NPL, won Victoria, um, 3-2 against Oakley Cannons. Very, very happy. Cock-a-hoop, yep. <laughs> no less, about uh, their victory. And congratulations to South Melbourne, too, on another um, title. He Basically, he, he went after the A-League in a way to... And, and actually decried the fact that, you know, they're, they're really not promoting, you know, the blooding of youngsters. They're not mm. putting enough youngsters in the various NPL competitions around the country into the A-League. Now... 
Is that valid? Oh, look, I, I think, uh, yeah, obviously it's almost like um, p- players who are playing in the NPL, I think he's referring to, tend to be the ones that uh, have missed out on the probably on the National Youth League teams or the A-League Youth League teams and uh, are probably those guys who are in their probably early 20s, maybe up to the mid-20s. Good players, very good players. Uh, but I would think that the scouts at Melbourne Victory and Melbourne City would know who those players are. Many of them have trialled with the A-League clubs. And, and I'm not only talking about Melbourne clubs. They go up to Sydney. They go up to Central Coast to trial. Uh, some of them, you know, get on squad lists and some of them don't. Um, I, I was lucky enough this year probably to have seen most, you know, an NPL game a week. Um, and I reckon I saw nearly every team at some stage this year. And I didn't see a lot of players, uh, the nights I went to watch, I didn't see a lot of players who I would think were the sort of players that could be, you know, really stand out to play A-League. Now, Chris obviously coaches his players. He's just had a team that's won the league. Uh, obviously, some very Marcus Schroen is one guy who scored a couple of goals on the weekend. He's a big rap for that player there. Um, you know, we saw... Um, uh, Mark Boland, I think, from Green Gully scored a cracker against Central Coast Mariners. There's some definitely talented players there, but I'd be surprised and shocked if A-League teams didn't know who these players were. Uh, but the, to, to question A-League recruiting um, over, you know, having these players instead of some of the visa players coming over, there's not too many visa players that aren't up to it these days. You know, it's all about winning at that level too. So, I don't know. I, I, I don't agree with Chris that there's a lot of talent. That There might be one or two players, but I reckon that they would be known by the A-League clubs anyway. Yeah, I mean, I would have thought that talent identification amongst A-League teams is getting fairly sophisticated now in terms of being able to identify. And I mean, I think the only thing I'd I'd say, but this happens in in other sports too, you know, in the AFL, they're looking at the youngest players. You know, it's the guys who are playing the mm. equivalent of um, Youth League yeah, the, or TAC yeah. Cup. They're the equivalent guys that are really on the talent pathway. The guys who get missed out are probably the, the late developers or the, the guys that aren't quite right or ready to play at 17, 18, 19 and then go into the second tier and are late developers. I'd like to see A-League clubs be able to focus on that. And I'm not sure whether you need to create a specific yeah, but, position on the ladder, but, but I think that's guys, happening guys, to yeah, some these degree. These guys get invited for trials. Yeah, I oh, look, guys, even that Marcus Schroen has trialled at, at Central Coast. He was a Melbourne City youth team player. These guys are on the radar. But they've got to be more than just good players in the yeah. NPL. They have to actually be players who, you know, the squad... The, the squads, squads aren't side, big enough to carry guys who can't you, play. Absolutely. Or not who can't play, who or aren't... Who aren't going to be in the best 11. Absolutely. So they've got to have 23 players. I think it's a bit tough on the A-League clubs uh, that they're not looking at these guys. Joy Ingham was a guy that yeah. they p- plucked from uh, Hume City. There's a lot of other ones over the years. If you're good enough, the cream will rise to the top. But just because you do well at the NPL doesn't mean that you're automatically good enough to play in the A-League. I remember a few years ago, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right, Carlos. I think that the the clubs these days, they, they, they hire people to do this sort of work and it's always going to be cheaper to get a homegrown player than it is going overseas. So you're mad if you're not looking at the best of the best that are here. So I think that happens. Callaway years ago got a got a Guernsey from from an NPL yeah, equivalent yeah, team, yeah. And, and so it'll happen if if people think the players are, are worthwhile. The so. ironic thing, guys, is the best team I saw play, the best football I saw, uh, and the, probably the best individuals I saw play in the NPL this year were Melbourne Victory, who got relegated. 
their youth team was playing in the NPL, in the, in the major division in the NPL, and the night I saw them play, they were unbelievable. Those kids were unbelievable. And the, the, the type of football and the pattern of play they were playing was the best I saw all year. That team's got relegated. So, um, you know, it's hard to argue that, uh, that there are a lot of players in the A-League, sorry, in the NPL, even across Australia, who are good enough for the A-League. I like the fact that the coach of South Melbourne, mm. who are not in the A-League, yep. speaks up and has a, has a say. And, you know, he's got his thoughts. He's, he, you know, he shared them. He, he, was, he was very forceful in making them. You know, he just won the, champion, the, the NPL, obviously. So it, I think it's good um, for the discourse to happen um, with, you know, for, especially coming from, um, you know, leaders in the, in the lower rungs, if you like. And, and I, I, thought, I thought it was uh, worthy of a Q&A discussion tonight. I think they've got to get, Rodgers, I think they've got to get better. You don't uh, need I, to. I, 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 they've got to get better. I mean, it's one thing saying it. Uh, but they've got, like I no, said, I, 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 I saw a no. game a weekend and I saw every NPL team play this year. And I I can't remember going away saying, gee, that player in that team should be playing A-League. Yeah. I can't remember seeing that once. Yeah, but like you said, you know, he's close to some of his guys yep. and he's he's looking after them and he's and he's made his comment, which yep. I, and I think um, kudos to him for that. So yep. I actually quite enjoyed his comments. And, and can I also say that the the quality of the NPL is is fantastic in itself. So when you see an NPL game, they're, they're good competitive games. And, and you watch them in, in um, the FFA Cup and there are some great contests happening. So I just think it all bodes well for the game, game's long-term future anyway. The next one was going to be promotion relegations. We're not going to go there. We're not going to go there tonight. <laughs> we'll do it next week, We'll though. do that next yeah. week because it is, it is a hot topic and it kind of flows on um, you know, with, with a few topics that we're going to talk about, especially with the AFC and FIFA putting a bit of pressure on the FFA. Um, as well. Can we mention one thing quickly? I know we've got to go it's to a his break. It's his Q&A, Carlos. Yeah, Michael Essien, 1116. <laughs> yes. There's talk about uh, Mr. 1116, <laughs> SEN, uh, might be joining Melbourne Victory. There's a lot of talk today and a lot of stuff going up awesome. on social media uh, asking that Diego goes to have a bit of fun with this. We're working at we 1116 well. yeah, SEN, and Michael yeah. SEN might be joining. I mean, is that a, high hair, a, Michael SEN? What yes. a branding opportunity Flat this top. is for the league. And yeah, if, by the way, if he comes the way we remember Michael SEN, 1116, 1116. Mm-hmm. back uh, when he was playing for Chelsea, uh, suddenly we've got Kale and 1116 up against each other. My God. <laughs> it's going to be unbelievable. You know, Michael SEN should actually change his name to 1116, like... Uh, Gary Hocking changed his name to Whiskers <laughs> way back when. Hey, or Melbourne's home of sport. Let's take a break now and come back with Melbourne's home of sport <laughs> and Mike McGrath from the UK right after this on the Diego's on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. Football is like a religion to me. I worship the ball and treat it like a god. Too many players think of a football as something to kick. They should be taught to caress it and treat it like a precious gem. This has been a hot and sweaty but strangely arousing Pelé moment by the four Diegos. On 1116 SEN, the four Diegos. Nine minutes to midnight here on the Diegos, and it's... We're going back to the UK, mm. you know. It, well, our phone Ma- bill, Martin Tyler, <laughs> our Martin, phone bill, it's Martin through the roof. Yep. Exactly, yep. Martin Tyler on his birthday. Yep. We just thought we'd call him and wish yep. him happy birthday. We didn't know, but I'm glad he told us. Yep. Um, and now the young gun. Well, it's Mike on his wedding day. It is. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. It's not his wedding day. Let's let's go to the sun in the UK. Mike, welcome to the show. Hi guys, thanks for having me. On. It, it oh. isn't your wedding day, is it, Mike? <laughs> no, it's not the best. 
of occasions for us. Trade Spurs are playing at Wembley tonight, but um, that's about it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it is a bit like your wedding night yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, uh, Rodrigo, Vinny, uh, Warren and Carlos here. Hey, Mike, let's get stuck into uh, the Manchester derby. Um, it delivered, didn't it? Yeah, it was, um, it was just all action. It had so many storylines there. Uh, first 40 minutes was brilliant for, for uh, City and it was a case of United trying to get back into it. They did, they did get back into it, but it wasn't enough. I think it's, uh, we'd love every big match to be like this. Um, so it was, it was just fantastic. I don't think United would be too disheartened. Um, and as Pep has said, they've still got a bit of work to do as well. Mike, it's Carlos. Uh, Jamie Carragher, the pundit there, former Liverpool great, uh, really launched into Paul Pogba's uh, performance. Uh, justified by you? Um, yeah, I, well, I thought it was a little bit harsh. I mean, he, you know, there was pretty strong quotes. He said he was like the, you know, he thought he was the best kid in the school schoolyard. Um, it was ill-disciplined. It, was, it wasn't well-disciplined, but he's also, I, I don't see him as a, as a, as a holding midfielder either. I see him as a number 10. So if you do want somebody to just stay in there and be like Paul McAuley, then maybe it should have been a different player um, to, to Pogba and he could have been a bit further forward. Um, so maybe that was something to think about for Jose next time um, a big game comes around. Where Where is he going to play uh, Pogba? Where he can get the best out of him? And uh, Mike Finney here, would every other EPL team be excited about Bravo in goals for Man City? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think it was the tactic was clear and it will be clear um, from when Bournemouth play them at the weekend. Get it into the area seat by Ruffling. Um, and he didn't look that great on his feet either, so with his feet either. So I think there's definitely a weak point there um, and it's, it's ready to be exploited. Uh, Mike, I tempted to ask a Liverpool question, but I'm going to ask a I'm going to ask a Liverpool question and look at Everton, who seem to me to be the team under Ronald Koeman, who are possibly the the ones that can not do Leicester, not do the Leicester City, but can re-establish themselves genuinely in that conversation around top six. They've started the season particularly well. Lukaku, who hadn't scored many goals came out with a hat-trick, but they've, they've started with an assurity. They've got the results that they've needed, and he's turned it around pretty quickly from a team late last season under Martinez that was just really unravelling in many ways. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's been... Um, he, I, the, the, word you, the word from there is that he doesn't exactly like everything he sees up there, and there'll probably be more changes in the next window. But he, they have got these results and they have got Lukaku playing well. So there are reasons to be optimistic, although I don't, I, I don't, I see them being a, a decent mid-table team myself um, with some real reasons to be positive, like Holgate at the back um, and a young player, Davies, um, long blonde hair, you can't miss him in central midfield, um, coming on on, on Monday. Um, and also, of course, Lukaku, I think they've still got a bit to go before they're going to be um, before they're going to be competing for Europe. That's my opinion, but yeah, it has been a positive start. A worry though is Ross Barkley getting taken off at half time. You know, it wasn't so long ago we thought he was England's wild card at the Euros, and now it's not not looking so good. God, that new stand looks good at Anfield, doesn't it, Mike? <laughs> it just looks absolutely spectacular. You'd have to say. 
<laughs> I know it's just a bit of a weird scene because they, they've obviously changed the camera angle. It just looks a bit weird on the telly now. Uh, but yeah, they've got what they wanted there in terms of raising the capacity. Um, and it, yeah, it does look the part. Mike, it's Carlos again. Uh, Arsene Wenger before the PSG game um, actually said something quite strange in the media about being offered the job at PSG over a, no- a number of times over the years, but decided to stay loyal to Arsenal. That seemed a really interesting and curious comment by a bloke who's very experienced in the media. Uh, yeah, I mean, he was, asking, he was answering a direct question um, from one of our journalists about you know, the fact that people have been talking about the Qataris offering him um, a job. So it kind of just shows you what happens when you ask a, an absolute direct question and not beat around the bush because he, he did answer it. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, he's obviously it's been 20 years, this project uh, Arsenal, and it's still going. Um, he didn't deny the fact that he is he's acquaintances with the PSG owners. I don't know whether that might be something later on in his life that he might look at, maybe an advisory role for them. I think it's time for him to hand in that project, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> it is overdue. It You'll is. lose marks. A few, a few Arsenal fans agree with you. Yeah, that. I think they do. Hey, Mike, uh, we're going to have to let you go. Um, if, are you going to the Tottenham-Monaco game? Yeah, I'm, I'm at Tottenham Monaco today and final Man U tomorrow, so it's, it's good well, time over here. Enjoy it. Uh, thanks for your time tonight. Cheers, guys. There's Mike McGrath from The Sun in the UK, thesun.co.uk. Let's take a break and come back with a little bit more on the Diego's 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. On 1116 SEN, the four Diego's. Coming up after the Diego's All Night Appetite with Scotty Cooney. Make sure you tune in for that. Hey, hey thanks for listening tonight. We really mm. appreciate it. It's great to have Martin Tyler, Mike McGrath, a very UK flavour tonight. And, of course, uh, thanks to the boys, Vinny, Warren, Carlos. Uh, so remember, Carlos. Wherever a Puerto Rican girls hang out, we'll be there. Wherever you Samba, Rumba and La Bamba, we'll be there. Wherever there are girls with fruit on their head and balls their feet, we'll be there. Wherever gringos play football, we'll be there. We are the four Diego's. Olé! Olé!